Good morning. Um, sorry if I seem a little weird this morning. I just, man, just such a hunger in me this morning to meet with God. I think sometimes we get in this routine where, like, it's church, and let's be honest, we all can do Sunday morning, like, whether God shows up or not, right? Like, we can come in, and we can do some songs, and we could even raise our hand, right? Like, that that doesn't take God. I mean, it does if you go back to the fact that I can't even make my heart beat, but you get what I'm saying, like, we can manufacture a thing on, on Sunday, and I could even probably stand and, and speak some words, and maybe you would even be like, man, that's intelligent, or that's so interesting, but really, like, what we hope to happen here, we cannot do without God. Amen. Like, you, you can't meet with God without God, and there's just this, this I don't know, it's pressing on me today, like, why are, why are we here? Like, why did we come into this place, and is it like to connect with each other um, because we can do that at the mall or is it like to connect with something greater um, is it to connect with with God and um, man it just I, I don't know I didn't like come in this morning thinking man I just this is the thing but as we were singing it was like God was like make sure that you're you're here um, for the right thing make sure that your focus is like you're going to meet with me. And really, like, if that's our focus, does anything else even matter? Right. Like, the church could be on fire, and if we're just, like, chasing after, I want to meet with God, then we'll just let that take care of itself, and, and we'll just meet with God. Yeah. And and I don't, I don't know where any of that came from this morning. You're going to hear the scripture, and you're going to be like, that doesn't have anything to do with that, and it doesn't. Um, but, man, sometimes God just presses stuff on us, and, and that's for me, but I think it's also for somebody else this morning. And I just want to say to you, like, those, those people that write things, in, like in the Old Testament, like, as the deer pants after the water brook, so my soul thirsts for you, the living God, like, that's a possibility for us. I know that we, we have seen, like, sterilized church and grown up in that, where it's like, we, we know the routine, and we're going to come in, and we're going to do the songs, and we're going to hear somebody do a message, and we're going to leave very unaffected, um, but there is this possibility that we could connect with God in such a way that we, we could love and desire God in such a way that like as, as a deer who, who's thirsting to death would be looking for water, we, we could have that desire to be with God. Like, I'm going to die if I don't meet with him. Yeah. And it's not some fairy tale or some made-up thing. I've seen it and I've experienced it. And, and I just I want that to be me all the time. And I want it to be us because... Man, in, in that, there's this idea that we've seen something greater than this world has to offer us. The, the, there's something out there, the TV and the radio and the, the car and the money and, and the job and the family, they, they can't satisfy. It's true. You, you weren't made for any of those things. Those are just blessings and gifts from God, but we were made for one thing, and that thing is God, and we we can and we should like long to be with him and hunger for him and anyway I don't know where any of that came from today but I'm just I just want to say like there's more does that make sense there's more um, than what we've seen um, there's more than just singing songs there's more than just hearing somebody talk and man I just I want to chase that so God just let us chase that.
God, we wouldn't be content with like just this thing that everybody else is doing. That God, we would press toward you in such a way that like we, we're not gonna stop. We're gonna push out into the unknown, into those strange places that are gonna cause us to question even who we are. Because we know at the end of that, there's something greater than anything else. So God, give us, give us a heart that would say, God, I just want to see your glory. God, let me see your face. Give us a heart like Moses that would say, God, if you don't go before us, if you don't go up from here with us, then what's the point? Because how else are we any different from anybody else on this planet? Like, our, our, our whole mark of existence is not where we go to church and what we wear, but it's just who you are. So I want to wrap my life in that. Because aside from you, I'm just like everybody else. Aside from you, I'm just like the drug addict and prostitute and the, and the lonely and the every other thing. God, you're the only thing good about me. And I want to dig into that. Yeah. Um, anyway, we're in Matthew 2. Um, <laughs> get your Bible um, and blow my nose again. Um, I don't know where any of that's from, so just whatever. Take it for what it you take it for what it is. Um, but this morning we're going to be in Matthew 2, and we're going to continue just talking about um, this. Christmas story, um, we've, I think for the past three weeks, maybe you guys caught the Facebook Live last week, which was cool. Um, I, who knew we could do that, right? Like, we can do that. Um, or the podcast, if you didn't, go back and listen to it. Um, it's not just the same Christmas story you've heard for the past 700 years. Like, um, this word is living, and it, it never ceases to amaze me that God can, like, literally have me preach the same five things every Christmas and every Christmas. I'm like, man, it's crazy. I didn't know that. We've been doing this for years now, um, but it, it is living. And anyway, this morning we're going to be in Matthew 2, and we're going to talk about the, the wise men, maybe, as we would call them. Um, so let me catch you up. Um, this is after the birth of Jesus. Um, last week we talked about Matthew chapter one, where the angel came, um, to Joseph and he was like, Hey, um, I I know you heard Mary was pregnant and that's true. Also not yours, still true. Um, but then he laid some other information on him and he said, but it, but it's God's son. This baby that Mary is about to have is, is God's son. Isn't that amazing? Like, like, imagine that. Like, just be, man, that, that's crazy that God's son would be born through a woman. And, and then here's Joseph getting to just watch the whole thing. He's a spectator up close. And, and an angel shows up and he's like, hey, I, I want you to be part of this story. He could have let Joseph run away. Like, hey, Joseph doesn't need to be part of the Christmas story. Joseph is a very small character in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. He doesn't even get mentioned in a couple of them. And really, we don't know much about him other than he was this guy that got to be Jesus's dad. Joseph was going to run. He was going to secretly divorce Mary and take off. And God entered into his story. And he said, I want you to be part of my story, this, this story of my son. Um, I, I don't need you, but I want you. And he invited him to step into that story, knowing that like, it was going to be a crazy story. 
So he invites him, and, and, and Joseph actually does decide, I want to be part of this. This is the Messiah, this person we've been looking for that's coming to save his um, people. And I want to be part of the story. So he enters the story, he marries Mary. You know, that's fun. Um, and then some time has passed between chapter 1 and chapter 2. Um, at the end of chapter 1, we just find out, like, Joseph's going to marry Mary, and Mary hasn't had a baby yet, and all that's coming. And then in, in the beginning of chapter 2, there's this time jump, and it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So we have at least a couple months, but possibly even up to two years, and I'll, I'll give you some stuff for that here in a few minutes but but some time has passed and Jesus has already been born Jesus is not being born in this moment it's it's already happened so if you're one of those like nativity people that have like the little hut that they're in and everything is peaceful and Jesus is laying like snugly in some hay which sounds horrible if you've ever laid in hay it's not a fun experience and then you have like the the shepherds there and then you have these wise men these elaborately dressed people with the big crowns on with the camels those guys weren't there um so sorry go go home and take them out of your nativity be biblically correct at christmas i'm just kidding you don't have to do that but you know it's been a, it's been a while jesus has been born and he was born in bethlehem of judea in the days of king herod and you look at that, and you're like, okay, well, why, why do you put all that in there? Well, Bethlehem is a city that's about six miles north of Jerusalem, and it's located in the lower region of Israel. So Israel's kind of broke up, kind of like Tennessee, if you just took Tennessee and flipped it this way. There's three regions. There's uh, Judea, which is in the southern region, and then Samaria, which we're not going to talk about. Those are bad people in the middle. And then the top is Galilee, this area that actually Jesus would do most of his ministry in for for a large portion of his later years and um, Judea is this lower part and inside of Judea is Jerusalem the capital city of Israel this place where not only is a is a, is a palace but you also have the temple this place where uh, people would go and, and worship God and make sacrifices and inside of that temple there was an ark in there you may be seen Indiana Jones this gold box with the cherubims on top and on top of that uh, the physical manifestation of the presence of God dwelt on, on planet earth and Anyway, Bethlehem was just about six miles north of that, so not very far. And Bethlehem was a small city of about 300 people. So we talked about Nazareth a couple weeks ago, and it's 400. Bethlehem's actually smaller. Um, and it was in the days of King Herod. Now, King Herod here is King Herod the Great. There were some other Herods that kind of came after this one, but this is Daddy Herod. And Daddy Herod reigned from about 37 B.C. to about 4 B.C., so a pretty good span of time. And, and you, you wonder, like, God, why did you put that in here? Because wouldn't it have been easier for God to be like, Jesus was born, next verse. Why, why did God go through all the trouble to nail down like a city and to nail down like a time period? Because now if, if King Herod the Great reigned from 37 B.C. to 4, and he's a guy that you can go find in a history book, or like I did, you can, you can look up on the Internet. Um, you can even find like a little stone picture of the guy on there. Uh, if, if, if you can find him and you can find his dates and you can find Bethlehem, it's not some like make-believe city like in the enchanted woods somewhere. Like why, why, did, why did God do this? And, and the reason is um, because God doesn't care for you to check his sources. I think I've said this before, but like, God's not afraid of you if you're a skeptic. 
just hear that again. Like, God's not afraid of you if you're a skeptic. If you're somebody who's like, I don't know about all this Jesus stuff. There have been people for like 2,000 years now that have tried to disprove like Jesus existed or he was God or any of this stuff, and nobody's been able to do it. We've had this book as we know it for for a pretty long time, and nobody's ever been able to to find like this is a a major discrepancy, so your, your God's false. So God's like, hey, check on it. You know, like Bethlehem, you you can find that. It's still on a map today. It's much larger, by the way. It's way more than 300 people now. Um, But you can find it on a map, and you can go there. That's where my son was born. And he was born in in the reign of King Herod the Great. So let me nail down some years for you. And you go out there with your skepticism, and you try to figure it out. But let me just plant this seed for you. For 2,000 years, people have been trying to do this. And I don't believe, I mean, maybe you do. I don't believe that I'm the smartest person that's existed in the past 2,000 years. And if they couldn't do it, you throw some time into it. But I just want you to know that you're not going to do it either. All the skeptics, um, they're either going to figure it out now or they're going to figure it out later. Um, God is God. He is in charge, and he does what he wants. And the story, it sounds like a crazy story, right? Like there was a virgin who had a baby, and that baby was the son of God, who, by the way, if you look at Colossians or Romans or a couple other different places, was the one who breathed out the universe. Not some baby created in a manger, but the the. the lamb slain before the foundations of the world and the active voice of creation this is him and you can go look at where he was born today if you want after jesus was born in bethlehem of judea in the days of king herod wise men from the east arrived editor notes unexpectedly in jerusalem now we've heard this story before and when we see wise men like what what do we what do we think of like really smart guys like with diplomas right you got 14 of them riding on the camel there's like their phd stapled on the back of that guy like maybe that's what you think of or some of us probably think of kings because there's that very inaccurate song we three kings of orient right like not kings um these wise guys right uh wise men are actually something that maybe none of us picture um these guys are, are pagan um religious people they don't worship this God. They don't look for this son. They, they have another religion. And they mix that religion with black magic or sorcery and astronomy. Man, that just blew up your nativity, right? <laughs> Wait till we get to the shepherds. But here are these magi, right? Like even the word magic is connected to, to their name. Here are these wise guys or these magi from, from the east who, who mix religion, sorcery, and astronomy. This is those guys. Would have been considered sinners. It talks about in Isaiah, I can't remember, I think, look it up, Google it, 40-something, how astronomy is condemned. Sorcery obviously condemned several times throughout the Bible, um, Ten Commandments, there's only one God, right? Don't worship any other ones before me. Like these, these guys are an oddity in the story. These are unlikely people to make it into to Matthew 2. It wasn't just some really smart guys or some kings from across the planet. These were pagan, magician, sorcerer, astronomers uh, from the east. This east they're talking about is either Babylon or Persia. 
kind of same area. Give you some reference, it's a little under um, 1,700 miles away from Jerusalem. Try walking that, that's going to be fun for you. Um, So they're from the east, and it says they arrived, Matthew puts in here for us, unexpectedly in Jerusalem. In other words, this is not a normal occurrence. They weren't waiting on these guys to just kind of roll up once a year, every couple months. This is something that had not happened before. It wasn't like a thought process. Oh, yeah, every once in a while, these astronomers, they just roll up into Jerusalem, and they ask weird questions, and then they roll out. Like, this is not a normal thing, but not much normal is happening in the story of the birth of Jesus, is it? It says these wise men from the east arrived, and they arrived, by the way, unexpectedly in Jerusalem. And they began saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? So they come up into Jerusalem. Here's these sorcerer, astronomer, pagans who come up into Jerusalem, already weird, already out of place. You don't look like you belong here. Jerusalem's the capital city of not only Israel, but of God. His, his ark is here. This is the most religious place in the world, and here you guys come. We're already not really welcome in this place, and they come up, and then they start asking these weird questions. Hey, uh, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Where is he who has been born king of the Jews. Kind of a strange question. Herod now is nearing kind of death, end of his reign. I don't know exactly the year that it would be, but it's pretty late in the in the timetable here. Probably not been having kids a whole lot for a little bit. And, and then these guys roll up in, in the city and they're like, hey, there's a, there's a new king. Where's he at? Now imagine hearing that, like a, just an announcement. Hey, we got a new king. Uh, where Where is that king? Now, if you're anybody that lives in Jerusalem and hear these people from like 1,700 miles away and they show up and they're like, I knew about the new king, you're going to be like, did you know about the new king? I didn't know about the king. Did you know about, is there a new king? I didn't know about the king. So this is kind of a weird moment in in the story here. We have these guys who have traveled a great distance to show up and they're like, hey, where's the new king at? And nobody knows what they're talking about. Where, where is this king? They would have kind of thrown the city into a little bit of an uproar. I didn't, did Herod have a kid? Actually, it wouldn't even matter if Herod had a kid because Herod's an illegitimate king of the Jews. He's not the real king of the Jews. He's not even really Jewish. He's only half Jewish. So what's, what's going on? And then they say this. We, have, we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, If there's something that goes on every time a king is born where there's like a new star that kind of pops into the sky and then sorcerer astronomers show up, I've never heard of that. Have you? Is that like a normal occurrence? Like every time there's a a new king born, a new star is placed in the heavens and then astronomers show up to your house? I don't think so. This is an unusual circumstance in an already unusual story they wouldn't have arrived unexpectedly if if this was something that these guys always did right you have to ask yourself these things i don't know if we like to blow through these things but like every time a king is born anywhere on the planet these people from babylon do they just follow a star to where they are like is that normal or is there something different about about this king like, like is this 
Is this a normal occurrence? And, and it, obviously it's not. It says they're unexpected. And I've never read a story anywhere else on the planet where this kind of thing happens. Have you? I feel like, I mean, there's still kings today, right? So I feel like we would have heard. We have like the best telescopes in, on the planet. Like we, we would know. Mapped all the stars. We, we would know that. It's not. So, A, like, what's going on? And B, why did these guys even notice? And how would they know, like, when a star happened, they were coming and they were looking for a king? Like, what, look, what's happening here? If this has never happened before, like, what's happening here? Well, I think it's interesting. The, the first time that the Magi or these people are mentioned is, is if you, like, scroll back all the way to um, Daniel. Remember that guy, Daniel, lines den, right? Precious Moments Bible. There's a guy, they chuck him in with lions. He doesn't get eaten. That's the story. Um, he, he was actually in a place called Babylon, right? And, and there were these people there, these Chaldeans, these mystics, these people. And he, he kind of had some authority with these people. And it's interesting to me that these People have now entered back in like hundreds of years later into, into the story of Jesus. Not been thought of for, I don't know, wherever Daniel is. Not been thought of for a while. And here they are popping back up into the story of, of Jesus. And you're like, well, what happened? Well, there was a man named Daniel who was a devout like Jewish man who was looking for the Messiah that's been talked about like through Scripture. And, and while he was there, it's, it makes sense that he would have shared some of these stories, right? Hey, why are you so weird? Hey, why do you why do you do what you do? Why do, why do you only eat certain things? Why do you you know these are these are conversations that would have taken place? And anyway, well, this is why I'm serving this God, and you know he's he's doing a thing. And somewhere in that, um, they've passed these stories down from generation to generation and generation. And here's these guys who like their 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 life is to look at the stars and to to know the stars and to try to predict what's going to happen through the stars and all of a sudden there's a new star like the star wouldn't have escaped their notice at any other point in time and they saw that star and for some reason when they saw that star it clicked in their head wait I've heard this story there is a king who's going to be born to the Jews how have they even known that like just follow the star GPS I think we're getting close to Jerusalem now like so it must be a Jewish king like no like there's something that's happened here. And these guys are looking for this, this thing that, that is happening or going to happen. Isn't it funny that like these, these very unlikely people are, are in some way looking for this new Jewish king? When even the Jews we're about to read are not looking for the new Jewish king. So they roll up into a city who, by the way, has access to the stars just like everybody else. There's not like private stars that only certain people can see. And they roll up into the city and they start asking, where is this Jewish king or this king of the Jews? What, what are they asking? Where is the Messiah? Where is the Messiah? We've, we've heard stories about how, how there was a Messiah coming, that God was going to send this, this Messiah, and we, we've come to worship him. Do these guys just roll up into every new kingship and just, hey, I want to worship that baby? Probably not, right? 
Like even they recognize this is a newborn king. It's a baby, but there's something about this baby that is different from all the other babies, even all the other kings. This baby is a baby worth worshiping. And it's crazy to me that God uses the very thing that he condemns in Isaiah to lead these people to this king. These people are people that are caught in sin, really, right? They're, they're pagans. They don't believe in this God. They're, they're not people that would consider themselves followers of this God. And they're doing things the Bible says not to do. And God even uses the things the Bible says not to do to lead us to the thing. That's grace, right? You know, those parts of our lives that the, the enemy wants to use to destroy us are the parts of our lives that God will use to draw us to this king. So here come these astronomers and they roll up to Jerusalem, the city that everybody's supposed to be looking for the Messiah, the people the promise is for, and they're like, hey, where's this king? And everybody's like, why are you dressed like that? <laughs> are, you, are you guys following the stars? Ugh. Isaiah says, don't do that. You're sinners, right? They're worried about how they look or how they act or whatever, and everybody's just kind of like, I don't know what's happening here, and we're not listening to what they're saying. And they say, for we saw his star. Bingo, something's weird about this guy. He has a star in the east, and we've come all the way here to worship him. I don't know if Herod ever produced a star-producing king. And it says in 3, when King Herod heard this, Herod the, the Great by his own proclamation, right? Uh, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So the city's in an uproar and the king's in an uproar. Now, I don't know why the city's in an uproar, but we're about to figure out why the king's in an uproar. It says, so Herod heard this, and he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, and he asked them where the Messiah would be born. Bingo. These people come into the city, and they're like, hey, where is this king of the Jews? And I don't know if the Jews know, but Herod knows. They've come here talking about the Messiah. Like, there's no doubt in me that he knows exactly what is going down. So he calls all the chief priests and the scribes together, all the scholars, all the people who sit around and just write the Bible all day long, the people who have memorized it, those people, the people who should know the most about these things. And he calls all those guys together, and he, and he says to them, where is the Messiah going to be born? I know you guys have memorized like the whole Old Testament. Where's the Messiah going to be born at? And in 5 it says, in Bethlehem of Judea. Six miles up the road is what he's saying. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him because this is what was written by the prophets. They're even going to quote the scripture, right? And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, because out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. It's out of Micah, by the way. It's this prophecy, it's one of many prophecies about how God was going to send this Messiah, the Savior, and he was going to lead his people. And they, they were looking for something a little bit different, I will admit. They weren't looking for a, a guy to come and, and be a carpenter's son and to, and to grow up 33 and a half years later and die for the sins of all people. They weren't looking for that. They were looking for somebody who was going to come in and set up this new kingdom of David. 
who's going to come in and he was going to set up this eternal kingdom that would last forever and he would reign over, over his people and usher in this new prosperity and, and peace. This is this king who's going to come in and he was going to kick out all those false, fake rulers and he was going to set up this real kingdom. That's what they thought was coming. And you see, here's the problem. Um, king Herod can't be king if King Jesus is king. Problem a lot of us have. So what's, what's, what's he do? He calls everybody together and he, he says, hey, where's the Messiah going to be born? And this is the part that's crazy to me and condemning to me. These are the religious leaders, the people who should have been looking for the signs and should have been looking for this moment this Messiah was going to come. And then even if they didn't notice everything else, should have at least heard the words of these guys when they come into the city and said, hey, there's a king of the Jews. If Herod, a, a, a almost Jew, could figure it out, surely the chief priest and the scribes could. See, the problem is that they know the scripture, but there's a disconnect in, in the scripture and in, in their heart. I can quote you the Bible, but I'm never going never gonna to do anything about it. This is these guys, right? The religious leaders of the time. I, I, can, I can, without pulling out the page, quote you word for word what Micah says, <laughs> tell you the verse. Know all the prophecies about this coming king, but I'm not going to walk six miles up the road to see if he's really come. There's this disconnect in the scripture and in their actual life. So Herod puts it together, and I would argue that they probably did too. It says, Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men, these magi, these pagan astronomers sorcerers and he asked them the exact time the star appeared he wants to know hey how long how long has that star been up there now if you look a few verses um in it gives us the answer it doesn't tell us right here in, in verse 7 but if you, i think it's like 16 then herod when he saw that they had been outwitted by the wise men sorry if i gave the story away for you um spoiler alert right Flew into a rage. Uh, he gave orders to massacre all the male children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. So the star's probably been around for right under or at two years. And they've traveled almost 1,700 miles to get here. And Herod, um, wanting to maintain his kingdom after the wise men go a different way decides well I'll just kill all the babies in and around Bethlehem that are male now a city of around 300 people uh, there'd be about maybe seven babies born a year into that city um, this is just stuff that they say on the internet I've never been in a city of 300 people and I don't know how many babies are born but there are people that are smarter than me that you, they figure stuff like this out maybe half of those males so three to four, not very many children. But he decides, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill them all because I want to keep what I have. I'm willing to kill the promise of God, not just for me, but those around me, so I can keep what I have. That's not just a Herod problem. Some of us are willing to kill the promise of God in our lives and in the lives of those around us so we can keep what we have, this false kingdom. Here, just maybe had another year or two left at this point in time anyway, not going to be around for very long. 
but he thought it was his. And he would even kill the promise of God to maintain it. So Herod secretly summoned the wise men and he asked them the exact time the star appeared and it says that he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. Now that's obviously not what he was looking for if you've looked at 16 and 17. But it's a good story. Hey, um, sorcerers. <laughs> Uh, why, don't, why don't you go up to Bethlehem? I'm a king. I don't I have people for those things. So why don't you go up to Bethlehem um, and you find him. And when you find him, you come back and, and I'll go too. I want to worship him too. So it says, and nine, after hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star they had seen in the east. I, I love that. Isn't that weird? Like, how did you lose a whole star? You have one job. <laughs> You're astronomers it's what you do like how did you lose a star you're not very good at your job if you're an astronomer and you followed a star 1600 miles and now you're like six miles from where you're supposed to be and just it disappears now you can't find it you misplaced the whole star that, that's not what happened here God led them to Jerusalem all right like there's other ways to get to Bethlehem he led them to Jerusalem these, these pagan, magician astronomers led him to Jerusalem because he needed somebody to tell his people, apparently, who weren't looking very hard, hey, um, the Messiah's been born. What a, what, a, what a shame it is that people from 1,700 miles away had to show up in the most holy city on the planet surrounded by the biggest religious brains on the planet and say, hey, uh, I'm a pagan sorcerer, astronomer, and I want you to know that God's promise to you is here. Like how unlikely is that? But that's the very people God chose to deliver this message to these people. Well, what, a, what a shame to his people that, that these irreligious people who sinners condemned in the Bible are the very ones who showed up and, and what was on their lips was, I'm looking for the Messiah, are you? <laughs> I wonder how many times like that's happened in, in the church. I'm looking for the Messiah, are you? Hey, I know I'm not supposed to be here. I'm covered in things. I'm covered in words that you blush to read. And I've done a lot of things that you, you wouldn't even want to hear about. But I'm looking for the Messiah. Are you? Hey, I've participated in things that I wouldn't even talk about in, in this company because I know I would get judged. But I'm looking for the Messiah. Are you? I, wonder, I just wonder how many times that happens. Because God obviously works that way. And into this city, these people roll up, and on, the, on their tongue is, hey, uh, the, the Messiah, he's here, and I've come to worship. Where, where are we worshiping at? Where, where are we going to worship? And they're like, why are you dressed like that? Where, where are we going to sing at? Why, 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 do you, why, do you, why do you follow stars? I'm ready, to, I'm ready to just get down on my knees and just throw a little praise at this king of the Jews. And they're like, do you know that you're not like us? So they come in and they announce and 
surprisingly, nobody's moved to walk the six miles up the road. God's people can't be bothered with things like that. Surely if the Messiah was here, we would be the ones that would know. So they walk out and God just drops the star back into the heavens. And it says it led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. Isn't it crazy that anybody could have seen and followed this star? But only a couple guys that had no business being there were following this star. The message had been delivered. We saw his star in the east and we've come to worship. God drops it back in the sky and nobody's like, oh man, maybe that's the one. So it says they followed this star. And the star uh, led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. That is some kind of star. It says in 10, when when they saw the star, they were overjoyed beyond measure. Overjoyed is just a word that's like extremely happy, extremely joyful, beyond measure. Um, They haven't even came in yet, but they found the place they're looking for. And just knowing that I'm in the vicinity of what I'm looking for has moved me to extreme joy that, that really we can't even put words around, right? Like they didn't start describing everything that was going on. It was just like, hey, it was so much joy. Um, I don't have enough verses to put all what was going on down. So they were, they were just overjoyed beyond measure. Whatever that looks like, that was them. And it says in 11, entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. That didn't knock, apparently. Um, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with the house. I don't know if there's a door on the house yet. Um, But they've been in Bethlehem long enough. Now they've moved out of the place where Jesus was birthed into a house. Joseph's good at building stuff, so he probably built it. And, And they're living in this house, and these guys, the star stops above the house, and these guys go into the house. They're just so excited. It's like, we forgot to knock. And they go into the house, and they see the child with his mother, and it says, and and they fell to their knees, or in falling to their knees, they worshipped him. It's amazing. They did what they came to do. They, they came with intent to worship, and then they worshipped, right? They didn't come into the house and be like, oh, uh, this is not a palace. This is not what I expected. I thought there would be nicer furniture in here. I thought they didn't come in and pick out all the things that they didn't like or didn't expect, did they? They were like, I know that I've come here to worship this child, and the star stopped, which means you're the child, and, and that's, that's all I need. I, I came to worship, and, and here you are. So that's all I need. And they begin to, to worship, and not just like, hey, nice to meet you, Jesus. Uh, you're pretty great, I hear. But like they fall on their knees. They, they actually bow before this baby, city of 300 people probably a little house like maybe like a one-room little thing going on not not anything elaborate and none of that mattered because what matters when we come into the presence of Jesus is Jesus 
That's like all we need for worship, right? Like you don't need, you didn't need like the band over in the corner, right? And if you could, if you could do that song I like, I will worship now. If maybe somebody could just stand here and explain to me what's, what's going on, I'll, I'll worship now. I didn't need any of that stuff. They knew they'd come looking for this, this promised child, and then now they've found this promised child, and in the presence of Jesus, all we need to worship is Jesus. So they, they came in and they fell on their knees before him. Now this is crazy to me because this is so unlikely, right? Like, Mary probably wasn't just sitting around in Bethlehem being like, hey, we're going to leave out of Bethlehem soon. We've got to wait till the Magi get here. You know, they're, they're coming. There's a, there's a new king, and they show up every time. They're, there's the star, so they're coming. Like, she wasn't just sitting around in Jerusalem being like, or in Bethlehem being like, hey, I know we need to get out of here, but, but we've got to wait on the Magi. Well, these guys come in the house. She'd be like, hey, well, what's happening? You know, like, what? Okay, you didn't look like you came from next door. What's going on here, right? You you could have knocked. They they just roll into the house and then they get on their knees and this is such an unlikely scenario because it's it's so unexpected. Like out of all the people in Israel who should have been looking for the Messiah, people from seventeen hundred miles away are the people that come in the house. There's all these religious people who have built their life around, around this word and, and doing the things in this word. There, there's people that, you know, like they, they follow the law to the letter and they, they've had these promises all the way through here about how there was this Messiah that was coming and, and here's this people that come from 1,700 miles away because the people that are looking wouldn't bother walking six miles up the road. Here are these unlikely people, these people that really Jesus should have like barred the door on, right? Little baby Jesus should have been like, hey, actually, can you get, just go back because you're not, you're, you're not my people. You're pagans and you're magicians and you're astrologers and like none of that is stuff that, that we, we do here. But he doesn't do that. And I just think it's amazing right here in like Matthew 2. We just have maybe like two-year-old Jesus here. And, and he's already inviting the unlikely in to worship. He's already saying, I don't, re- I don't really care where you are or where you've come from. I, I just care where, where we end up. See, like, there's a whole list of reasons these people should not be the people that come into the presence of God. But can I just say, like, in this story, God saying to us, it doesn't matter who you are when you come into the presence of God. It matters who you are when you leave. So these people who are very unlikely come in and they fall down and, and they worship him. They fall on their knees. And then it says they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And these gifts have meaning, gold for an earthly king. Frankincense is like an incense for a deity, and, and myrrh is actually like a, an embalming oil. 
I don't think even in, in their wildest dreams they, they imagined the gospel, but here in their gifts, God's just sharing it. Even unprepared, right? God allows us to, to do some kind of amazing things. So they offer gold in this little hut because it didn't matter that it was a little hut. This is what they were looking for and they knew they'd found it. This is an earthly king. It's this king God sent from heaven. But he's also getting frankincense because in this baby is the fullness of God. And myrrh because even in Matthew 2, we, we get this reminder that Jesus came for a reason. Jesus didn't come to set up some kingdom of David and reign forever. It's not like this was plan B. Well, since since they killed him and he can't reign forever, we'll we'll just resurrect him and he can set up a spiritual kingdom no this was plan a and even as a two-year-old baby god was just saying they're they're gonna bury him because he came like like i said a chapter ago to save his people but not to save his people from the romans not to save his people from a poor economy not to save his people from like in any of those things he came to save his people from their sins well who are his people are his people the chief priest who wouldn't walk the six miles down the road probably not are his people the scribes who knew the word but but they didn't apply the word they they, they knew the word and they could quote the word but it had no bearing on their life probably not who are his people his people were the people that would at great cost follow whatever god would give them to follow who would, who would travel not six miles, but 1,700 miles to walk in and to fall down on their face before a baby because it didn't matter if it looked like what they thought it should look like. It was like, I have seen God. And worship is the only response. So the very most unlikely people in the story are not only the people that actually get to interact with Jesus and to connect with him, but they're the people that get to announce to everybody else there is something worth looking for right down the road. This is in 12. They were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. So they returned to their own country by, by another route. They left different. They left different. Now, this is directionally different, right? Like GPS-wise, they didn't go back through Jerusalem and see Herod and then go back. Um, I get that. But I also know in me that there's no way in the world you can come into the presence of Jesus and leave exactly the same. Like, do you believe that? You, you believe that you can come into the presence of God and you can interact with him and you can leave unchanged. Because I don't. I don't believe that at all. See, in reality, when we, when we come into the presence of Jesus, it, it not only moves us to worship, but it changes us. Not that we'll walk out of here with our head a little elevated, but, but that it'll, it'll change the very most inward parts of us. And it'll change the way we walk, not just home, but the way we live. See, in this story, what we see is the very most likely people, those people that seem like they have it all together and, and seem like they, they're looking for the Messiah, are often not. 
And the people who their lives are like crumbling around them are often desperately looking for that saving grace. And I know in the, in the story, we, we have this tendency to, to gravitate towards like religious people. And maybe our opinion of them is like all religious people are bad. That, that's not true. We're going to meet a man, if we get there, in, in, in Luke actually, who is, is a Jewish man who's been eagerly awaiting the Messiah. See, the, the issue today is not with our religion. It's not do we go to church and do we wear the right clothes and we sing the right songs and we know the right things. See, in reality, those are outward things and they don't really make a difference. We're like little Barbie dolls and I can dress a Barbie doll up as a doctor, but it's not a doctor. Well, we can dress you up as somebody who's religious, but it doesn't make you a follower of God. You can, you can dress anything up. All right. Do you know at the fair they show pigs? Isn't that crazy? Like polish them. It's still a pig. They show cows. You ever been in a field with a cow? You can wash it. It's still a cow. Some of us, and we, we've cleaned up our act, and we've tried to do better, and we've changed our language but here's 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 the real test for me is there a longing in our heart to see and to worship the messiah one that'll drive us to to leave wherever we are and and go to wherever he is you know maybe i didn't know it was connected this morning but maybe god just does amazing things before we get there what what do we start with this morning there's there's more there's just this longing in the heart That we would be like those people as the, as the deer pants for the water brook. So my soul would thirst for you, the living God. But maybe in our, in our search to, to do whatever, to be better, we, we've memorized the scripture and we've not connected it to our lives. And may, maybe in our, in our search to... Be better people. We, we've sought like church attendance and worship songs, but God has called us into something more, this longing for the Messiah. Maybe, maybe that's why as church people, we look at people who don't dress like us and we say, no, you can't come to God. Because on the outside, we're whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones, but these people that are covered in, in, the, in the world that have this longing heart for the Messiah, maybe they're the ones that really have it and understand it. See, we want, we want this easy religion that doesn't cost us anything except maybe just a few hours out of our week. But when God calls us to his son, he, doesn't he call us to leave everything? To, to like walk away from everything we've known in, in search of there's something out there that's worth the travel. There's something out there that's worth the search. There's something out there that's worth more than what I know. And if that's what God has called us to, shouldn't we like, lay down everything to find it? 